All right, well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the Wednesday night Bible study. Um, thank you for featuring the youth group tonight. We are going to be joining you guys, and we are in the middle of a service or a sermon series or teaching series called Hope Amidst the Hopelessness, and it is a series through the book of First Peter. So we've been going through First Peter. This is week number seven or eight, and we're just getting to the end of chapter one. So we've been taking our good old time through it, um, and we are going to be in First Peter chapter one, twenty through twenty-five. The way we do this is I usually come up here and I draw some stuff up on the board. If you can't see it, sorry, um, but you can kind of follow the audio cues as I talk through the passage. Um, last week, Andrew taught. Um, thank you, Andrew. That was great. Verse 17 through 19, um, and remember we talked about, and you can look back in the text here, that the Father, who we call Father, judges impartially, but we see that he judged impartially on the Lamb who was without spot or blemish, that being Jesus Christ. And he ransomed us with the precious blood of Christ, and that causes us to then fear the Lord. And so we saw all that last week in those few verses, and this week, like I said, we're going to cover the last uh, five verses of this chapter, six verses of this chapter. Just a quick reminder before we pray to start. Peter wrote this book, or this letter, to exiles, to strangers in a strange land. Okay, So people that have been dispersed into a place that they're unfamiliar with. Okay, um, To land that they're unfamiliar with. To customs that they're unfamiliar with. To a culture they may be unfamiliar with. And so this is kind of symbolic of our life as Christians. We are in, we are strangers in a strange land, right? We are on this earth, but we don't belong here, okay? And so we're in the midst of this strangeness. We're in the midst of stuff that we're unfamiliar with. We're kind of unlike the other people in a sense. Um, And the difference is, is that we go through this life, through the turmoil, through the pain, through the suffering, through it all, with hope. We have hope, an eternal hope. Um, And that's amid a bunch of hopelessness, and I don't think I have to go into that for you to see uh, in this world there is much hopelessness. So let me pray, and then we're going to get started in this text tonight. Father, help us now. Help us now as we look at your word that you have revealed to us through prophets and teachers and preachers and people in our own lives that have told us about who you are. Help us now, by your Spirit, to show us marvelous and wonderful things in it. Let us take application from it. Let us read this tonight as if you wrote it to us, the God of the universe. Let us believe that and let it change our lives. Help us, God, to pay very, very close attention for the next 20 minutes on, this, on these verses here. We love you, Lord, and we know with confidence that you can do this. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Peter 1, 20 through 25. I'm going to start with the first two verses here, 20 and 21. This is kind of a continuation. We've kind of stopped mid, mid-thought or concept here, so it's kind of a continuation of last week. Sorry that you guys missed out on that part. Um, but I'm going to start in verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, 
who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So what we see and what we notice in the very first part here is this he is referring back to the lamb. Okay, so the previous verse, it's talking about, um, verse 19 says, but this is what God has ransomed us with. The precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. And so then he goes into this sentence where he says, He, Christ, the lamb, was foreknown. He was known before. And where was he known before? Before the foundation of the world. Okay, And so the interesting part is he starts this out, as he points back to Christ with the he, right, with that pronoun there, the description is that Christ was known before the foundation of the world, but how was he known before the foundation of the world is the important part. And we can be interactive if I ask a question. How was he known before the foundation of the world? Referring back to verse 19. I'll give you the answer. He was known as the Lamb, right? Okay, so before the foundation of the world, before anything was ever created, Christ is known as the Lamb. Okay, and this is very important. So we have to remember our theology. We as Christians, um, evangelical Christians, believe in the Trinity, right? That God is three persons in one being, right? We have the Father, we have the Son, and the Spirit. Those three persons in an unspeakable way make up one being, that being God, right? The God of the universe. And this trinity is outside of time, um, meaning the rules of time that we abide by are not constraining God, okay? So he is outside of time. He's eternal. And so for all eternity past, you have a perfect love triangle, in, in a good sense, right? Of Father, Son, Spirit, continuously and ongoingly loving one another, okay? Outside of time. And so they're, they're existing before the foundation of the world, before anything was ever created. And so we see here in eternity past that God, or that Christ was foreknown as the Lamb. Before the world was created, as the Lamb, who would die for your sake? And we'll get to that in a second. So this kind of helps our understanding already of the Old Testament as we read. So we read through the Old Testament, we get to, let's just say we get to Leviticus, and we're talking about how they used to sacrifice animals to to appease for their sin, right? We, We see the Old Testament sacrificial system. God did not get to Jesus Christ in the New Testament and say, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice Jesus, kind of like what I did back there, as if it was a new thought. No, Christ was known as the Lamb in eternity past so that the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was actually just a a type or a forerunner for what Christ eventually would do as the ultimate perfect sacrifice. And so him being known as the Lamb or him being known as the, the perfect sacrifice in the past for all eternity shows us that as we go throughout the Scripture, as we go throughout the Old Testament, we see Christ mentioned, typified, and, and foreknown throughout, throughout it all. And so Christ is ultimately going to be this lamb that was used to ransom us by his precious blood that we saw in verse 19. So he was foreknown before the foundation of the world that that was the case. And then we have this contrast conjunction here, but was made manifest 
made manifest or revealed in the last times, and here's the, here's the great part, for the sake of you. He was known before the foundation of the world, but he was then manifested in the flesh for our sake. Meaning, the God of the universe who created us came to be like one of us. Which, that's a tough thing to wrap your head around, right? The God of the universe who created us, who, who would make the earth that he came to walk on, what would condescend in such a way that he became 100% man, 100% God, um, was born just like us, went through the stuff that we go through. He did this for our sake. He was made manifest in the, time, in the last times, in the flesh, for us. And through him, starting in verse 21, through, this is uh, via or by way of, Through him, Jesus, we believers, this is us, right? Those that believe in him. Oh, sorry. This says are. I misread my own handwriting. Through him are believers in God. And this is the only way that we are believers in God is through Christ. Christ himself says this in John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no exclusion. In that, right? Jesus is the only way. There is not multiple ways to get to God, right? If we believe in the Christian worldview, if we believe in Christ, this is what he said, right? So that excludes everything else. Nothing else is a way to get to God except through Christ because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one gets to the Father. No one believes in God unless it's through Christ. So we see that. You see that God raised him from the dead and gave him glory. And so these two things are talking about resurrection and ascension. Okay? And so we see these things happen. Um, God raised him from the dead. He resurrected him from the dead. Um, and we talked early on and you can flip over a page or two and see in chapter 1, verse 3, um, that if God raised Jesus from the dead, then our hope is that he's going to do the same thing for us Christians, right? We're going to follow in those footsteps. He's going to raise Jesus from the dead. He's also going to raise Christians from the dead, okay? And then he gave him glory. This is referring to Jesus going back to heaven after the resurrection, sitting on the throne, right? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and so he's doing these two things. He raised him from the dead and he gave him glory. And so then we see this purpose statement here. So that, whenever we see a so that, that's going to imply purpose. Here's the meaning. Here's the reasoning behind doing those things. So that your faith and your hope are in God. Two very important things here. Our faith and our hope are in God. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended back to heaven so that our faith and our hope would be in God. So, let's just think about this for a second. If God, from eternity past, had set up a plan of salvation, um, just speculation, the Father and the Son have a conversation. Here's, here's the people I've created. They're going to mess up 
in terrible ways. And to appease wrath, which is totally deserving for their sin, there's going to have to be a sacrifice. It's you or them, in a sense, right? And Jesus condescends, becomes a man like us, does this, rises from the dead, right? He goes to the cross, pays for our sin, rises from the dead, goes back to the Father. Um, and so God has this, this plan of salvation set up before the foundations of the world. So if, if he has this from eternity past set up, and then he was born just like us and carried out this plan, and then he gave us his word, which we're reading right now, so that we could know this plan, then logically, our faith and our hope should be in this plan, or not necessarily this plan, but the author of this plan, right? Logically speaking, if God set up this plan, carried out this plan, and revealed this plan to us, then our faith and our hope, our belief and our expectation or anticipation, which is hope, should be in whoever made this plan. They should be in God. So this is all kind of setting up uh, the next section here, and it'll all make sense as it comes around. So just Peter is making sure that we have an understanding here of why we can put our faith and our hope in God, right? It's very important that we ask the why questions. Why can we put our faith and our hope in God? And not is, he's not just saying that. What he's saying here is why it is best to do that, okay? Christianity is not a last resort I have no better option, okay? We can never treat our faith like that. Um, when I was in college, I had to kind of wrestle with that. Like, okay, these other things, I, I, I know that there's something besides me, and, and I was a believer, but I was really struggling with, with doubt. And so I was like thinking of other worldviews, and I was studying these things, and I was just thinking, okay, there's something going on here um, and, and I just have to come to the conclusion on something. But when I did, when I studied the scriptures, when I studied Jesus and who he is, I came to the conclusion, there is nothing better than this, right? If there's something better than, than what we have here in the word of God, I've said this many times before, I'll drop everything right now and I'll go follow that. But this is not a last resort. This is, there's nothing greater than this. There's nothing better than what we find in Christ. And so he's explaining why we can have our hope and our faith in him and also why it is best to have our hope and faith in him. So let's read the last few verses here. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, in all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So what do you think of when you think of purifying something? What comes to your mind? What's that? Okay, making it holy. Cleaning. Okay, straining out some impurities. Okay. God is holy. That's not what I think of, but that's good. That's a good thought. Okay, changing character of appearance. That's good, yeah. I like to go camping, so 
the first thing I think of is a water purifier, right? So you're going to, actually one time Will and Robert and I were camping and I brought a water purifier and I forgot to attach the, the purifying part, right? So it was just coming out of the, the string here and I'm like, that just doesn't seem right. And Will was like, are you sure this is how it works? And I'm like, I'm pretty sure. And then I go to my bag and there's the, the actual purifying part. And I'm like, don't drink that, don't drink that, you know. But I think of you have a kind of a filtering system where the water is coming through and everything bad is being taken out and only the good remains, right? Okay, so that's what I'm thinking of when I'm thinking of purifying something. All those were really good answers. So we're, we're having purified, and this is kind of a past tense here we're seeing with the ED, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, filtering out the bad and keeping the good, He's saying, do this with your souls. Okay, that doesn't seem really tangible, or I can't really notice that, but soul is really referring to your being or your life or just everything that you are, okay? All-encompassing, right? That's what the, the kind of the Greek word entails when you read it. Okay, and so this is going to be the natural inclination for someone who hopes in God. So if our faith and our hope are in God, then we're going to purify our souls. Check this verse, 1 John 3, 3. It says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Okay? So if I'm going to hope in God, then the natural inclination for me as a Christian is going to be to purify myself as Christ is pure. And this happens with my life. And how am I going to do it? Well, he gives us the answer. By. Right? By is going to imply the, the how. It's going to be by your obedience to the truth. Okay? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Hope creates in us obedience. We've been talking about this, students, right? Hope, the byproduct of hope is obedience. Okay? Because we have this anticipation for something great, and so we're going to obey to get there. So hope creates in us obedience and we are certainly not going to obey falsehood. If we, if we know something is not right, we're not going to obey that. We're going to obey something that is truth. So just to give you an example, if you're in a classroom, and for you students this is more tangible, you're in a classroom, in order to be a good student, you obey the rules of the classroom, right? That's how you become a good student, right? I think. I don't know. I wouldn't know because I'm not a good student. You, you obey the rules of the classroom. You don't talk when you're not supposed to, Right? You don't work on other stuff when class is going on. You don't get on your phone when, when class is going on. You don't do things to distract others in the classroom, okay? If you obey the truths of the classroom, then there's this reward, and you probably don't care now, but you learn and you actually gain knowledge so that you're able to be a productive part of society one day, right? And so could you imagine if everybody in the classroom paid attention, did well, and then went out into society and became a productive part of society? That'd be crazy, right? My goodness. That's kind of the reward of paying attention and being a good student. So even more so, when it comes to instruction from God, obeying the truth leads me to getting rid of the sin in my life through a purification process, okay, getting rid of the sin in my life through a purification process, and the ability by God's grace 
what will happen is there will be an impact in my life and in the life of others. And we're going to see that. That's going to happen. This impact is going to be made. And here's kind of the main point of what he's going to get at here. The main point or the impact is going to be made through love. Okay? Love. Four-letter word that means a whole lot, right? And the cool thing here in the Greek is there's two different loves being displayed. We have a Philadelphian. What does that remind you of? The Eagles? Yeah. (laughs) Philadelphian, so we have brotherly love, right? City of brotherly love. And we have an agape right here, a more cherished, deeper love, okay? So even as he says this, he says it's for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly, the love is actually escalating in the language here, okay? So you go from a less deep love to a more deep love, to a greater, a more serious, a more fervored love than the one before, okay? So um, this brother, or the sincere word here actually just means without hypocrisy, okay? What does hypocrisy mean? And how do you spell it like that, I think? Okay. I think I spelled it wrong. Don't look at that. What does hypocrisy mean? Curse? Oh. Okay. Without falsehood? Okay. Okay, faking, right? Okay. Acting one way and doing something different from that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so he's saying sincerely have brotherly love, okay? And directly after that, he's saying love one another, one another earnestly from a pure heart. Okay, we're getting to the, the, the wrapping up here, so just hang with me. So the question is why? Not that we needed another reason why to, to love one another. Not that we need another reason to show this brotherly affection or this love. Not that we needed another reason to do it earnestly and sincerely and to have it come from a pure heart. Not that we needed another reason to obey the truth. Not that we needed another reason for our faith and our hope to be in God. But here Peter again is answering a why again because he has this sense and the sense is going to answer why. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. This language, again, takes us back to verse 3. I have it up here on the uh, PowerPoint this time. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God shows us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that you, through your faith in him, can be born again. You can be made new. And this sense puts us on that path to answering this why. You have been born again, and it's not, you have not been born again of something that's perishable. Not a perishable seed, a seed that's going to grow up and then die, <clears throat> but of imperishable. And the imperishable seed that we've been brought up through or been born again by is through the living and abiding Word of God. The living and abiding Word of God. Peter then quotes Isaiah 40. I didn't put it up on there because I didn't have room. 
but we can read it again in, in our Bibles. All flesh is like grass in all its glory, like the flower of grass. So you have grass, which is here today, gone tomorrow, right? There's temporary nature to it. You have a flower, which looks a little bit cooler than the grass, but it also has a temporary nature. It gets thrown away. That's like the glory of, of humans. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This was the good news that was preached to us. This word right here is the living and abiding word of God. This is ultimately great and glorious news. And it was preached to you. So, to wrap it up, you have verse 20 and 21 up here. And verses 23, somewhere in there. Since, you're right, there we go. Yeah. 20 and 21 and 23 through 25, sorry. Those are the foundations for 22. Okay? Those are the foundations for what we see in 2022. So, to explain, I cannot love someone earnestly. I cannot show brotherly love if I first don't know the extent of which I am loved by God. Okay? I cannot genuinely, sincerely, earnestly, fervently love somebody else made in his image if I don't know first the extent and the cost at which God made me his own. Okay? And then, I also cannot love like Christ unless God makes me something new. Unless he, by his eternal word, makes me born again. I cannot love like Christ in my inherent state. You can't do it, right? You can try. The world tries, but it falls short. Selfish love. I can't love like Christ. I can't have a self-sacrificial love like Christ unless I am born again, unless I'm made new, unless God gives me a new heart. I have a heart of stone and God breathes on me his word and gives me a heart of flesh so I can love like Jesus loves. And we see this um, in Ezekiel, this is a very popular verse, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He gives me a pure heart and he purify, purifies my soul. This is God doing this. So Peter is laying foundations here and he's sandwiching in the middle the command, which is to love one another, to earnestly and sincerely love one another. So um, to give you just a picture of what this looks like, I think, um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis, the movie. How many of you have seen it? Okay, just a few. Narnia, yeah, that's what's. Okay. In the one scene, there, uh, there are these people that the white witch has turned to stone, okay? And they're all in their castle, and they're all like frozen how they got turned to stone. And Aslan comes in at the end, and, and to basically make them alive again, he comes through, and he does what? He just breathes on them, right? He breathes on them, and they become new. So in a sense, God has breathed on us his word here, his eternal word, and has made us, who were a statue like stone, and made us flesh and new, 
able to be like him, able to love like this, able to love earnestly and sincerely, able to do that to one another in a non-selfish way. So as we end here, here's three things uh, I want to close with. So number one, know that God loves you and know at what cost he shows you that love. Verse 19, I know it's not up there, but... Actually, verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Never get tired of hearing that, ever, Christian. Never get tired of hearing the fact that Christ was sacrificed in your place where you deserve to be on the cross, and he died a very painful and humiliating death for you, for your sin. He took all of your wrongs that you have done and will do and he put them on his back and carried them and bore them on the cross. His precious blood, his spotless, perfect, holy blood fell on the ground that he made so that you could be saved from that death, okay? And that punishment of eternal wrath of God. We talked about last week how the eternal wrath of God is the payment for our sin and Christ drank that in just a couple hours that would have taken a whole eternity to pour out on us. Think about that, okay? So, know that God loves you, and know at what cost He shows you that love. Because we can only love because He first loved us. 1 John 4.19 We have no gauge or guideline of love other than the Son of God. We can't know how to love. We can't love unless we are first loved. Right, I learned, um, in a sense, love from my parents. They had to teach me how to love as I grew up. And I only know love in, in a, in a fa- familial sense because of what they taught me. Or a lot of what I learned about love came from them, right? In the same way, we learn this love from Christ, from what he's done for us, and, though, and then we can love after that. Okay, that's number one. Number two. Abide in his word continually, to be continually made new. So, I have them up there on the screen there. Abide in his word to be continually made new. Look at these two uh, participles here, living and abiding. This is in the present form, so it's continuous. The word of God is continually living, it's continually abiding. So, you have been born again, and you are continuously, we are continuously being made new. Newer and better by the Spirit of God. And the place that most certainly takes place is in the good news that was preached to you, right? Here's, this word is the good news that was preached to you. This living and abiding word of God. It most certainly, our changing most certainly takes place when we're there. So be there. Abide in it. Live in it. I like to think of, I wake up in the morning and, I, and I'm reading Scripture and, and you come to this, and this is God revealed to you. Like, God is revealed to you in this word. And so you go there, and you're just, you just lay in his arms for however long you're there. See it like that. I'm going there to meet God. I'm going there to just spend time with him. I'm going there to be in his arms, to be held by him, right? To see him, to have him revealed, to have him change who I am, to have him change my heart. So abide in his word to be continually made new. If God's word is living and abiding for all eternity, then we too should seek to be in it 
as long and often as we can. That's where our hope is. And hope produces obedience. And, and the obedience is stemming from this verse. And the obedience here that we see and what he's talking about in verse 22 is the last one. Love one another earnestly. Okay, so that's kind of the command. He lays the foundations for it, but the command is kind of vague and like, okay, how do you do that practically? There's many a way, right? We, we take notice from what Christ has done and we love one another earnestly. But how can we not love one another when we know how much we have been loved, okay? So if I know what Christ has done for me, that is going to spur me on. That's going to motivate me to live my life focused on others, serving others, loving and living for other people, loving them, right? Love one another earnestly. Be focused on them, serve them, live for them. In doing so, you're going to be living and serving Christ, living for and serving Christ. <clears throat> so that's the three things. Know that God loves you and at what cost he shows you that love. And a lot of that came from last week. Sorry, if you weren't here. Um, and then he shows this. For our sake, Christ did this, right? So know that what he has done, know what God has done for him. He's raised him from the dead. He's, he's brought him to glory so our faith and hope can be in him. So having purified our souls, God is giving us a new heart. He's making us new. Obey the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then he gives us more foundation for that. Second thing is abide in his word to be continually made new. And then the last thing is love one another earnestly. Makes sense? Yeah. I always think the youth just shake their heads because they're ready to be done, right? <laughs> You guys wouldn't do that though, right? Okay, right, yeah. Curtis, got a question? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. God gets, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, well, praise God. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a... It's not easy to, I mean, obviously we're never going to completely understand what's going on here, but what I notice is that through all this, through this plan that was set up way beforehand, God gets more glory and we get more joy because it happened this way, right? Because it happened this way, God gets more glory and we get more joy. And that's going to come to a culmination in a, like two trains running into one another when we go to be with him and It'll be better than anything you can imagine. Times 1,000, 100,000. So I, I, I agree with you, you know, it's all for God's glory. Especially uh, the things that the enemy kind of collides. Uh, the things that are revelations, like the wind, the flow, the things that are dark, and the things that are glittering. It's crazy that God can make everything out wonderfully, but you still get to see the times and the days and the times and the Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 one thing I didn't mention that I had in there was just real quick is people are going to see uh, the way you love, and they're going to uh, glorify God for that. Okay, so. We live here. These people he's writing to are strangers. They're, they're going into this new place. It's like going to a new country, right? And the way that they're loving one another, they're, they're loving one another earnestly. They're, they're uh, sacrificing themselves for other people. They're serving other people. They're going to see that and be like, why are they doing that, right? The same thing happens with us, right? When you're at your workplace, when you're at your, with your family, and you're doing these things, when you're loving one another, really actually loving one another, they're going to be like, why? Right? It's because of what Christ has done for us. And so um, this produces a, a God-glorifying machine in us to, to do in the workplace and, and wherever, you know, wherever it may be. All right, any, any other questions? Yeah, Beverly. Yeah. Well, praise God. It's by his grace. And uh, you guys can do this too. Just take your Bible, take a pen or a pencil if you don't like, you know, permanence, <laughs> and mark it up. Just, just sit there. Just sit there and be held in his arms with five verses, right? You don't got to read the whole chapter. Sit there and be held in his arms for five verses and be like, I'm going to stay here for 20 minutes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, you know, get the sponge and just get every little last drop out of this that we can. No, praise God. Yeah. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to, yeah, we're going to be done. All right. God, again, you are amazing. We magnify you. We lift you high. We exalt you. There is no one like you. There is no one like you doing what you're doing, making broken sinners new, making us alive again through your Son, helping us to serve others, helping us to love like you have loved. 
God, let that be on our minds throughout the rest of this week, the rest of our lives, that we would commit ourselves to obeying the truth for a sincere brotherly love, a love that is earnest to one another, to strangers, to enemies. God, give us the strength, the energy, the grace to do so. And let us not forget, let us not neglect the gospel, the good news, the living and abiding word that was preached to us. Let us go to it. Let us abide in it. Let us stay there. Be blessed. Let us wrestle with it. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks for being here tonight, guys. Uh, Just real quick, um, just continue to pray for.